Please pray with me. Grant, O Lord, that your word might be spoken here with boldness, heard with attentiveness, and obeyed with readiness through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other. As just as fair and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that, the passing there had worn them really about the same. I shall be telling it with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and it has made all the difference. A well-loved poem by Robert Frost, maybe one of his best-known poems. And it's a, it's a poem that captures beautifully the moment where an individual comes to a crossroads. Now, without getting too deeply into the analysis of that poem, which I know only, I can, probably two people in the room would enjoy that, um, myself and maybe two others. I'll, I'll say three. Um, but it, it beautifully captures a crossroads, a decision point. And as we hear the poem recounted, it certainly seems like this decision point has a great gravity to it. It's a weighty crossroads. Our Old Testament reading recounts the people of Israel in precisely such a place of grave decision. Moses has spent the last several chapters of the book trying to impress upon Israel what life will be like if they choose God and what life will be like if they do not. He calls God's way the way of life and the other way the way of death. There are two ways. God had rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt by powerful signs and wonders. We remember that he had parted the Red Sea. He gave them the law, a revelation of himself. He provided for them in the wilderness day after day, year after year. But they rebelled and they rebelled and they rebelled again. And as a result, they were condemned to 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Deuteronomy is Moses' speech at the end of this 40-year period. Israel has been going through this sort of remedial education regarding living in God's way. And Moses speaks to them right before they enter into the promised land. Moses restates in detail the instructions that God had given his people. And so a lot of Deuteronomy is simply a restatement of a lot of what's come before in uh, Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus. He goes on to sum it all up with the command, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And with all your mind, might, excuse me, little verbal difference there. He goes on to explain that if they will love and obey God, they will be blessed in every way. And if they choose to go their own way and to serve other gods, they will face utter destruction. Our passage at the end of chapter 30, the passage we heard today is the climax of the book of Deuteronomy. Moses tells Israel that his choice lies before them, a crossroads, two ways they can take. And he says, see, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, then you shall live. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. 
I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. This idea of there being two ways is a common one that we hear throughout Scripture. It may sound reminiscent to you of other passages. In fact, we heard today in Psalm 1, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. Jesus tells us in our gospel reading uh, just recently in our lectionary, Jesus tells us there's a narrow gate leading to life, which is found by few, and a wide and easy gate leading to destruction that many will choose. St. Paul says that some live by the spirit and some live by the flesh. St. John says that some walk in the light and some walk in the darkness. Are you, are you seeing a little bit of a pattern there? There are two ways. Light, darkness, life, death, God's way, our way. There's a beautiful simplicity here, actually. And I know that it may seem heavy to read this and to think about that way of death and destruction, which we ourselves are tempted to at times, which so many others around us choose at times. But there's actually a moment of great relief when we realize that our lives are so full of choices that in our age we have such an unparalleled level of freedom. We face an unparalleled number of choices. I mean, there was a day and age when the family you were born to would determine your profession, would determine your status in life, would determine your friends, would probably determine your spouse, would determine the place where you were going to spend all of your life and the place where you were going to be buried. I mean, that it was all laid out for you. That's no longer the case. We face an unparalleled amount of freedom and an unparalleled number of choices. We're bombarded with choices about what to eat, what to wear, what to believe, where to live, where to get an education, who to marry, how to raise kids, who to befriend, how to spend our money, and what we do in retirement. And we mostly live in ambiguity in the face of all of these choices, never being quite sure which ones are the right choices, which ones are the wrong choices. The scriptures here give us a clarity that pierces through the ambiguity. In the midst of all of these seemingly unimportant choices we make, there's a deeper decision that faces us day after day, a decision like what Israel faced. Do we most desire to live according to God's way or according to ours? After placing this choice before the people, Moses says something that I find exceedingly strange. He tells them, Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him and holding fast to him. And I think, Moses, did that really have to be said? I mean, you just got done explaining these horrible things that would happen if we didn't choose God and all the great things that will happen if we do. Why would he have to say, choose life? If I ask my son if he wants a hot dog for dinner or if he wants you know, a steaming bowl of, well, I was going to say broccoli, but this would be a bad example with my son because he quite likes broccoli. So um, if I asked him if he wanted a hot dog and ice cream for dinner or no dinner at all, he's likely to choose a hot dog and ice cream. It's an obvious choice. Moses is setting all of these, these horrible things that will happen if we don't follow God, these wonderful things that will happen if we follow God, and yet he feels compelled to say, choose life. Why? Well, Moses urges Israel to choose God's way because he knew that Israel was not going to keep the covenant. And in fact, if you read through this whole larger section, Moses is saying these things like, make this decision. You're not going to make the right decision, but make the right decision. I know you're not going to make the right decision, but really make the right decision. That's what he says over and over and over again in these chapters of Deuteronomy. 
Moses is urging the people to choose God precisely because he knows they won't. Because he knows that there's something in them that prevents them from making that right choice. That simple choice. That most plain, simple, the easiest of choices to choose life over death, light over darkness, God over nothingness. In other words, he knows Israel is wayward. Wayward is a word I I like quite a lot. Um, Not just because it kind of sounds, you know, pretty. I don't know. Um, But also because of its, its derivation. It comes from two words, away and word, ward. Forward, toward. Um, And so wayward simply means directed away from, pointed away from, prone to wander, facing away from something. Refers to something that's prone to straying from a path, prone to wandering. When we say humanity is wayward, what we mean is that it is fundamentally bent away from God. Bent away from the path of life. It's actually bent towards self, evil, destruction, and death. Israel, of course, is repeatedly the example of this. Psalm 95 refers to them as a people who were wayward in their hearts. When God took them out of Egypt, within a few years they had built an idol for themselves, wished they were back in Egypt, doubted God's faithfulness, rebelled against Moses, complained because the manna God had provided for them was not meaty enough for their tastes, and rejected the promised land because they were afraid. Just a few years after God had miraculously freed them from slavery in Egypt. And being wayward, of course, is not just Israel's condition. It's the human condition. In the very beginning, God creates Adam and Eve. He gives them a choice. He tells them they must not eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or they will die. And they ate the fruit. They chose to disobey, to make their own path, which led to death. And ever since, humanity has helplessly followed in Adam's footsteps, consistently choosing disobedience and evil, destruction and death over God's life and blessing. Humanity is bent towards the wrong path. Humanity is wayward. And we may grow calloused to that fact, or we may distract ourselves from that fact so that we just don't think of it often, how truly wayward we are as human beings. But we can't escape the fact. And of course, it would be lovely to be able to say humanity is wayward and leave it at that. It's much, much easier to speak in general terms than it is in specifics. But the fact is, you and I are wayward. We find ourselves straying from God's way day after day. At home, we fail in love of our family. At work, we fail to live with honesty, patience, charity. In the community, we distance ourselves from people or groups that frighten us or withhold mercy and hospitality from those who are most in need. In our finances, we find ourselves tempted away from generosity by greed or vanity. In all of these choices, we go our way time and time again and reject the way of life. Thankfully, Deuteronomy is not the end of the story. God did not leave us wayward, helpless to find our way to him. He sent his son to be for us the way, the truth, and the life. Christ has made a way for the wayward. Christ did what Adam could not, what Israel could not. He lived a life of perfect obedience to the Father. He came to that crossroads again and again, but consistently chose God's way. Jesus opened the path of life to us who believe in him. 
By his incarnation, he united God and humanity in his own person, meaning Christ can never be separated from God again. By his perfect, meaning we in Christ can never be separated from God again. By his perfect life, he gave us the definitive picture of God's vision for humanity. By his crucifixion, he made atonement for all of that waywardness that we've lived out. By his resurrection, he imparted new life and overcame the consequences of our waywardness, which is death. And by his ascension, he gives us the Holy Spirit, leaving us with the very presence and power of God to guide us into God's way. The fact remains that given all the grace we've received from God, choosing God's way of life is still sacrifice. It's still hard. It's difficult. Jesus reminds us in our gospel reading today that following him as his disciple might mean giving up our most loved relationships, our most prized possessions, our deepest sense of identity, and even in some sense our very lives. From the world's perspective, it is costly, but the rewards we're assured are everlasting, and we gain a glimpse of them even in this life. So the question we're left with is, where are you facing crossroads? Where are you being tasked with choosing between God's way of life and your own way, which leads to death? Where do you need, in the words of Moses, to choose life? We opened with Robert Frost's poem about a crossroads. It's another poem a well-known hymn which speaks of waywardness, which speaks of maybe what happens on the other side of a crossroads. (laughs) Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be, Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. We are prone to wander. Prone to leave. Bent against God. We are all of us a wayward people, but Christ has made a way for us. May we all follow his footsteps by the grace that he gives and walk in his way. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.